Hey guys, today on So What Else, we have Brianna Campos. She is a licensed professional counselor with a specialty in eating disorder recovery. She is a body image educator, a body grief coach, and the host of the Body Image with Brie podcast. So this episode is basically an extension of episodes 12 and 13. As you guys may remember, in episode 12, I shared my story of my history with an eating disorder. And then our next episode was an interview with Lauren Smith, who is my intuitive eating dietitian. We had such a massive response to those two episodes that we wanted to really dive deeper into that conversation. And honestly, who better to facilitate that conversation than a body image educator? So this is such an important conversation and I know you're gonna love it. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. Today, I have Brie Campos with me, which it even sounds weird for me to say I have Brie Campos because I just know you as Body Image with Brie. Like, I feel like I should just say, I have Body Image with Brie here with me today. (laughs) So thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. This, I was telling you right before we hit record that, you know, I did the episode way back in season one, like where I shared about my eating disorder history. And then I had my dietitian on and we had such a huge response from it that I wanted to have you on. But I felt like it was such a reach. Like I was like, oh my gosh, like if I'll reach out, I'll never hear back. But, you know, at least I'll know that I tried. And when your assistant reached back out to me, like she would love to do that. I was like, oh my gosh, like I was like sweating. I was like, I didn't think that she was going to say yes. So I'm a little bit like starstruck right now. Oh, you're so funny. And we're both <laughs> from Jersey. So I know. I'm so here for that. I love it. Are you born and raised Jersey? Born and raised. Like my heart bleeds cheetah print. Like, oh, yeah. literally <laughs> me too. I am born and raised Jersey. My youngest daughter right now is two and a half. She is genuinely like, I have not put this on her. She is genuinely obsessed with leopard print. Like I'm I was so scrolling old Navy online the other day, like <laughs> looking for like bathing suits for them or whatever. And she saw like a leopard print and was screaming at the computer. That's like I was hilarious. like, girl, we succeeded <laughs> with you. Proud mama, proud mama. Literally. Um, I forgot what part of Jersey you're in, but but this will this will answer it. Uh, do you call it a pork roll or Taylor ham? Okay, so I do say Taylor ham. What do you say? Yes, yes. Taylor ham. Yes, <laughs> all right. Because I was raised in North Jersey, like Essex yeah. County. Now we're out in West Jersey, which is like almost Pennsylvania. We're out in Hackettstown. Okay. And so yeah, sometimes yeah. I feel a little bit like, is this even really Jersey like culture right, or is this more right. Pennsylvania it's basically culture? Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went to school in South Jersey and I remember being like, I was like, I'm seeing people eat it, but I don't know where it is. And they're like, because you're calling it the wrong name. I'm like, no, no, I'm calling it the right name. You're calling it the wrong name. No, all in good fun. Do you believe in a central Jersey or are you just a North Jersey, South Jersey? Absolutely. What do you call the middle of New Jersey? Right. Exactly. Only South Jerseyans believe that there's only North that is so true. It's so true. I love it. I love I it. I had a friend it. who would like, he, he was a comedian and he would be like, people in New Jersey fight like it's like backyard football. Like it, we make such big deals about it, but the allegiance, like North oh. Jersey versus South Jersey, uh, you know, the Eagles versus the Giants, like mm-hmm. it is. It's hilarious. It but. really is phenomenal. I saw a meme the other day that said something about like New Jersey pride is so intense that like <laughs> he was like, my wife was in Paris and she was like, well, yeah, but there's no shore and the pizza's not that great. Like, it's oh. just like, we just think Jersey is, is all there is. We do. <laughs> so sad. 
<laughs> it is true, but I love it. I'm here for it. Uh, well, I am just so thankful that you're here with us today because as people heard in my intro, you, um, are a body image educator, a body grief coach, all things that I want to talk about. I would love to, before we get into like hardcore questions or whatever, I would love for you to just kind of share your story with us. Like, how do you end up as a body image educator? Like, how does one end up there? Like, what is your history with body image? Like, what is your story? Yeah. It's so funny. I I had just seen recently a post and it was something like the thing that you spent the most time in your, your young adult life focusing on is the thing that you end up uh, doing for your career. I'm like, how accurate. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And so I, I always identify as having lived in a larger body. And I say that hesitantly now, because when I look back at photos, I don't actually think I was that big, but in my mind, mm. I was I was huge and I was bigger than my peers and my siblings. And so in that, I had to learn how to function in a bigger body. And I it, it actually makes me so sad now because there were so many things I thought my body disqualified me from. And I believed that lie. And it was a lie that I was told. And, you know, I always say when I talk about, you know, my parents and my upbringing, I believe my parents did the best that they could Mm -hmm. with the resources and the knowledge that they had available to them. And so I spent a majority of my life hating my body. And just thinking this was the norm, like Mm -hmm. this is what you do is you hate your body. And the only thing that ever brought me solace was the idea of, well, one day your body is going to be smaller. You're going to live and exist in a smaller body. Mm -hmm. And I have done so many things to try and control my body size. I have done every diet under the sun. I have had uh, weight loss surgery that I lost and then regained the weight. I have done it all. Mm. And I think it was in my, mm, I got to say, it's probably like my, my um, last year of my graduate program where I was just beyond sad. Like there's no other word to decide to describe it other than grief mm. where I realized this might never happen for me. And I was so scared to figure out what would that mean for me? If, if my body size never changes, what will that say about me? And really what it came down to was this fear of belonging that Mm -hmm. I was going to experience less love in this world, that I would never find a romantic partner, that I would always be a failure in this area. And this was before I had ever heard of health at every size. Now, mind you, I was also simultaneously working in eating disorder recovery Mm. (laughs) and being like, you know, I call it this cognitive dissonance, which for Mm. those of you who don't know what cognitive dissonance is, it is when your thoughts and your beliefs don't match up with your actions. And Mm so how could I sit with, with women and girls who were struggling with their body image and tell them your body doesn't matter. Like who you are matters. Yet at the same time, I was trying to control my body size and it was celebrated. Mm -hmm. And the only reason it was being celebrated because I was in a larger body that I had to get to this place of, I can't control my body size, but now what? And Mm -hmm. what I found at that was grief. And so when I learned about health at every size, to me, it felt like a light switch where I was like, oh, oh, like this is something I have believed my entire life. 
didn't know there was an actual name for it. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that there were other people who believed this too. And, and sort of through the trajectory of my own intuitive eating journey of realizing I have to explore these horrible, yucky, uncomfortable thoughts because to not explore them means that we're just going to stay here at the surface. And so mm. I had to reckon that, yeah, what if my body does change? What happens if my body does get bigger? Do I believe those core beliefs that I feared at the beginning of my grief journey? And so being able to walk through my own grief journey has just helped me help my clients understand themselves a little bit better. And a business was born from it. Okay. I have like 77 follow-up questions to that. All right. So first of all, you mentioned health at every size movement or the haze movement. Can you explain what is that to people who have never heard of that? Oh boy. Um, How long do we have? (laughs) As long as you want. (laughs) Perfect. So at its root, at its core, health at every size is the belief or the construct that no matter what size body you exist in, you have the right to pursue health habits. You have the right to pursue health no matter what your body looks like. But on a a deeper level, on uh, on a social justice level, health at every size is a social justice movement. It, you know, the body positivity movement started in an effort to bring about awareness to marginalized bodies. So Mm. not just about like, you know, loving a little extra, you know, fat on your body, but the bodies that are the most marginalized in our community, bodies that look like mine, bodies that are, you know, disabled bodies that are BIPOC. Those, that is what the movement was about was the body positive movement. And it's been a little co-opted by like <clears throat> some skinny white girls who are like, Oh, look, like, look, my body yeah. can look like this and my body can look like this. Right. That's like, not- look, I just ate and I'm kind of bloated. <laughs> right. And I, yeah. I have a friend who says this and uh, her name is uh, the abundant therapist on, on Instagram. And she said, body positivity is about how, uh, is about loving your body until it becomes about accessibility. Because mm. for me, the larger the body that I exist in, the less accessible society becomes to me. And that was always a message of, yeah, well, this is why you need to sustain a smaller body size. But what we know from the research, what we know from the science is that weight loss is not sustainable for majority of people. Mm -hmm. And I'd also like to know what the science is behind for those that it is sustainable for, did they develop eating disorders or disordered eating? Mm -hmm. But again, going back to health at every size, health at every size means that every person can pursue health habits. It does not mean every person at every size is healthy. And also even deeper than that is so what? Like is health the barrier or the marker of which we judge people? So if you're unhealthy, Mm -hmm. do I then get to treat you less than human? Mm. Yes. Can you expand upon that idea that you said that like the larger your body is, the less, the less accessible like society is to you? What do you mean by that? Absolutely. So I, I mean, again, I, one of the biggest fears that I had in making peace with food was what happens if my body changes? Now Mm. I have worked with 
numerous amounts of eating disorder clients who've had the same fear, who exist in smaller bodies, who are recovering into maybe slightly larger bodies. I am already a fat person and I use fat in a reclaimed way. I don't mean it with any negative connotation. Just like I would say I have brown hair and I'm short, I'm also fat. I live in a large body. Me recovering into a larger body than the one I already exist in means that I might not be able to find clothing in the store. Mm. I cannot fit into an airplane seat. Actually, I don't even know if I can fit into an airplane seat at this point. Um, since the pandemic, I haven't, I haven't even tried it. It gives me anxiety. When mm. I go into a restaurant, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit at every area that they seat me. And there've been a couple of times where I've had to ask them to move me. That there are things that stop being accessible. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what we mean by that of accessibility. Mm. We lose that accessibility. I also heard you mentioned before that you were, you had behaviors going on in your life that were celebrated because you're in a larger body. But if that was in somebody that was like super skinny, they would be like, no, 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 that's an eating disorder. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Like, what do you mean exactly? Absolutely. So just think of any of the, the, craziest diets that are out there right now, Mm -hmm. which we will say, like people will say, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle, whatever, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. I say, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a damn duck. So, (laughs) yes. So I, I, while I was working in eating disorder recovery as a clinician, I was also actively dieting, Mm. which to me, is just uncanny. It would be like if I was in a smaller body and dieting and working at a, like that should have put up some red flags. And, you know, I think this just speaks to the, the position at which many of the eating disorder clinics are at, but they were desperate and they kept me on and I was a good clinician. I'm not gonna, you know, uh, I won't, I'll puff up for that. I, I know that I did a good job but I was also missing the mark in many ways because I was actively disordered. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think that for my clients, I think that was the first time I realized, well, wait a second, why is it okay for my clients to eat mac and cheese, but I'm actively avoiding mac and cheese because mm-hmm. it's not approved on my plan. And the only thing that I could come down to other than quote unquote health was because of my body size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. T- can you talk to us about, you mentioned before that you had weight loss surgery at some point. What kind of like brought you to that point? And then how do you feel about it now? Like, and where was that? Like in the span of your life? Totally. Um, so first and foremost, if somebody's listening to this and they have ever underwent weight loss surgery, I just need you to know that I, I see you and I love you and you are still welcomed at this table. There are still room for you. If you're somebody who's contemplating weight loss surgery, I don't judge you. I get it. I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with weight loss surgery for me was that I really believed it was going to be an end all fix. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I was 19 years old when I had the surgery done. So you think about what a 19 year old is into, like they're just going to school, they're trying to figure out who they are. Your brain isn't even fully developed yet. And it was encouraged by my family, it was encouraged by my doctor that I should have this surgery because it was going to make me healthier. 
but there wasn't even health markers that we were monitoring. Really the only marker we were monitoring was my weight loss. Mm. And uh, so I had the surgery when I was 19 years old. I looked into it when I was 17 and they approved me for first surgery. And I remember being at my smallest and feeling the most insecure ever because it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And so it was the only time in my life where I really felt like I could have identified with having an eating disorder mm-hmm. because I could not eat, right? The surgery prevented me from properly properly nourishing my body. Mm. And I, I just remember every waking moment. I've never been more dis- depressed in my life mm. of just feeling raw and vulnerable and hating my body, like a deep hatred. And, uh, after that first year after surgery, um, it started to get better. Um, I think I started kind of coming into my own, um, it was just a rough time for me in general. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I had switched my major four times. Uh, my, like my, my friend group kept switching. So there was just a lot of, a lot of unknowns in my lifetime. And so now when I look back, I am sad for the 19 year old who was guided to do this yeah. because everything that I thought it was going to fix, it didn't. Mm-hmm. And it didn't for a long period of time. And it showed me something so valuable though. And that valuable thing was that no matter what body I exist in, I have to work on my brain mm. because there's no surgery for that. I have yeah. to work on my thought process and my, my, the way that I speak to myself because surgery doesn't fix that. It just changes the outward appearance. Yeah. I love that. I heard you say, um, I don't know on your podcast or on another podcast, um, that your original thinking was if I change my body, my feelings about my body will change. And your new thinking is if I change the thoughts that will change my feelings about my body. Bingo. And I just think that's huge because I can relate. Obviously, you know, I have thin privilege, right? Which is like, I no, like I don't have trouble. I don't have to worry about walking into a store and not knowing if they're going to have clothes that fit me or things right. like that. Even for me, when I was at my absolute thinnest, I hated myself the most. Right. So it's like changing my body did nothing to help me, you know, accept myself or any of that. Right. So it's not changing your body. It's changing your thoughts. Right. Right. I think that's amazing. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like how we speak to ourselves and things like that. Totally. Uh, So I think that what diet culture sells us is that when we exist in a smaller body, we're going to feel confident. We're going to get the guy. We're going to get the date. We're going to get the job. We're going to get all the clothes. We're going to feel just magical. And that is also what people who are losing weight also give us. They give you that like insight of like, oh my God, like I feel amazing. This is Mm -hmm. so great. And so what we lust after is that idea of, inclusivity, belonging, finally feeling like we fit in. Mm -hmm. And Brene Brown actually says there is a staunch difference between belonging 
and fitting in. And fitting Mm. in is a hollow substitute to belonging. And that belonging is belonging to yourself first. And so I, I think that when we pay attention to the dialogue around how we speak to our bodies, that if at its core, the reason that you want to change your body is because you believe you're going to experience more love. I, I just think that that is really unkind, really mean, and probably not something you would ever say out loud to anybody else. Yeah. So like, I would never, I would never say to you, Caitlin, you will be more loved when you look a certain way. Totally. So why do we believe that for ourselves? And, and, and also, so let's think about how do our thoughts and beliefs change? I mean, I'm thinking even about when I was, you know, eight, right. And I believed, you know, I don't know, like certain things like, uh, you, you know, you know, maybe I believed in the Easter bunny or mm-hmm. I believe, you know, there was just things that I had this, they didn't have the, the self-efficacy Oh, uh, or like friends. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh my God, my friends are being so mean. And like mm-hmm. what my life is going to be over. And now I'm like, Oh, you're being mean. Screw you. I don't want to be your friend anymore. Mm-hmm. And it still hurts, but it's, it's different. And I think that our beliefs can change. We just have to understand what is the thought pattern? Mm-hmm. And is that doesn't align with our values? So mm-hmm. when I break down my, my value system and I think about, would I ever project the idea that you would be more lovable in a smaller body on anyone else? The answer is no. Do mm-hmm. I think that society sucks? Yeah. Do yeah. I think that we live in a fat phobic world? Absolutely. Does that come with hardship? Sure. Mm-hmm. But do I think that you are more valuable in a smaller body? No, mm-hmm. of course not. Mm. So why do I believe that for myself? Mm. I love that. Oh, it's so huge. You talked about this. So in the intro, I said that you are a body grief coach. And then you also talked about that a little bit at the beginning when you were talking about your story. Can you explain that for us for people who are like, what the heck? Like, what does that mean? (laughs) Like, what is that? Yeah. People are like, wait, so what is, what? What yeah. is body grief? <laughs> like, I feel like I get it, but I don't understand it. Right. So when I started my own journey with intuitive eating and health at every size, I felt like I saw glimpses of people making space for the discomfort around existing in a larger body, like little droplets of like, oh yeah, it's okay if you have body grief. And I was like, wait, let's say more about that because I'm feeling that right now. And I felt like a lot of times we moved so quickly into the reframe because it's so uncomfortable to exist in the grief. So if you look up the definition of grief in the dictionary, it says that grief means deep sorrow. And when you look up the definition of sorrow, sorrow's definition uh, is something that causes, is a loss that causes you distress. I would say for many of us, when we have lost our thin privilege or we have lost accessibility or we have lost the praise and compliments from other people, there's a grief there. Mm -hmm. But rather than just getting that back and being like, okay, I'm just going to get back to that size so that I get that, of what does that loss represent for you? Why does that impact you so deeply? And 
how do we sit in that suck? How do we acknowledge and make space for that suck so that we can continue on this path of healing? Because if we don't make space for it, what I, I have referenced before is that I find with grief, if you don't make space for grief, it steals all of the oxygen in the room and you can't breathe. Mm. And so rather than just being like, it's fine. Like, I'm just going to put that to like, it's like, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grief, 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 it's fine. But I'm going to focus on affirmations. And then you find yourself stuck. Mm-hmm. You find yourself unable to move forward in grief. In, in, in acceptance rather, right. If I can't, I'm having a hard time accepting my body, then I'd argue you need to spend a little more time grieving. And so, yeah, I, I identify as a body grief coach because I never want anyone to be like, wait a second, this doesn't, this is not fun. Like this doesn't feel good. Like I was like, I'm not a body positive coach. That's not, that's not who, that's not who I identify with. I identify as being a body grief coach, which for me says that I will sit with you in your suck. I will sit with you in the most uncomfortable parts of your body image journey. And I'm not going to try to fix it. I'm just going to be present for you. I love that. You know, that's something that came up in my session with my dietitian just last week. Lauren, you know, I, I was saying something about like a really bad body image day I had and blah, blah, blah. And I immediately went into like, oh, well, it's probably because of this and this and this. And she was like, you try to fix everything. You know, like she was like, the minute you feel uncomfortable, you jump into fixing, you know, which like is probably like whatever my Enneagram number, what we, that's a whole other Wait, thing. what's your Enneagram? I'm a one. What are oh, you? Oh, I'm a two. Oh, so you're like the best number. I always say, I literally, I know that there's no best number there and I no know that we're number. all beautiful and wonderful, yeah. but I'm like, if I had to be jealous, I would say I'm jealous of twos and sevens. It's so funny. And I feel like I hear people say that all the time and we could probably do a whole podcast episode on Enneagram numbers. But actually what I find with the Enneagram too is it's actually quite self-serving and I'll tell you how. Because yes, do I know how to make people feel loved? Am I good at hosting and, you know, letting people, you know, feel loved and, and like, I know how to meet that need. Absolutely. But it's also, it's manipulative in a way because I'm like, I know how to get you to love me. Uh, it's yeah. an undeniable, like, I know, I know that this is, it's actually, a, it's, a, it's a space of security of like, mm. I can secure this love by meeting your needs. And also oftentimes at the detriment of my own. So mm. ooh, love the Enneagram. So, so, so helpful. We could go so deep into it. So deep. Uh, But I love that. Like what you talk about is like grieving the body that you thought you were going to have or that you wanted to have or the experience, whatever. And I love how you talk a lot about sitting in the suck. I think that that's so great because we don't know how to do that. Not at all. Not at all. I just feel like we're so into like steps, like (laughs) one, two, three to get to blah. Or, you know, like you even said, like affirmations and things like that. They're not bad. It's great to have a little body positivity thing on your mirror if that makes you feel good, but it's not going to like fix you. Not at all. It was never intended to fix you. And I think it's, you know, and I had just said this in a podcast episode um, that I was in recently where I was like, if you can think of grief, like, actual grief. When you go to a funeral, do you ever go with like, okay, I'm going to give this person three steps to heal their grief. 
No. Right. What do you do? You are just going, you're like, I don't know what to say. I am so sorry for this loss, but I, I just wanted to be here with you. Yes. And can we show up in body image in that way of, we don't have to fix this mm-hmm. because is it mine to even fix? Can I just be a person who, who stands in that with you and says, this is horrible. And I'm sorry you're you're struggling with this. And I love you and I'm present and I'm here for you. And that's it. Mm, I love that. I love that was such a good example about like, if you're at someone's funeral, like, you know what I mean? Like you don't go there to try to fix the family. Like, okay. And you know, in six weeks, we'll have you back to normal. You know, like, it's like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and so I love that. It is. Of course it is. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just even be so vulnerable in, in this, in my own journey. When I realized like, oh, I have, you know, I have a lot of grief and I have a lot of trauma. I was like, all right, I'm going to start with trauma therapy. (laughs) And I went to my therapist. I was like, okay, so tell me how long this is going to take. Like approximately how many sessions can we assess for? And my therapist, God bless her. She was like, "Um, how about we take it one month at a time Mm -hmm. and we go from there? And I was like, okay. I feel like this is a trap, but okay. And fast forward, we're still working together. You know, like we are just taking it slow and I have learned a lot. And this is why I often refer to body image, like an archeological dig Mm -hmm. rather than a journey or a destination. Because Mm -hmm. oftentimes when we think like, oh, body image is a journey. We think there's a place of arrival. Mm -hmm. The same thing with acceptance. We think acceptance is like, yeah, like, oh, finally I'm here. No, no. Acceptance is like, yep, it is what it is. Like, this is, this is my body. I accept that this is my body. That doesn't mean I love it. That doesn't mean it's a celebration. It just means I have arrived. Like I, I get it. Like I am here. And why I say that it's a dig is because I think there's always more learning you can do. There's always more information that you can uncover as you're doing this, this, uh, work. Mm. That's so good. That's so, so good. Um, I heard you on the What the Actual Fork podcast. Yeah. You've talked about them a bunch on here. And so I heard you say on there that your journey with intuitive eating helped to transform your body image. Absolutely. I would love to talk about that because we did, as I've referenced, you know, Lauren Smith came on. She is an intuitive eating dietitian. Yeah. And so she did an episode about that. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. I think it's number 13 because that explains what intuitive eating is. Mm-hmm. But Brie, if you would just kind of tell us like, how did that, how did your intuitive eating journey transform your body image? Totally. So I had done a lot of body image work up until the point of learning about health at every size and intuitive eating. I knew I knew that I probably was never going to reside in a in a smaller body. I knew that I um <clears throat> what else did I know? I knew that um my body did not determine my worth and my value. There were a lot of things that I did around body image that I had felt like I'd made a lot of progress. There were still some hurdles for me. So I still had my own internalized fat phobia. I still was like, oh my God, but if I'm not exercising and I'm not eating vegetables, are people going to judge me? Mm-hmm. And how do I reckon with that? Are people going to take me less seriously as a clinician because I'm in this large body? Yeah. And so when I found intuitive eating and I remember like the idea of 
making peace with foods and eating these foods that I was terrified of or foods that I'm like, yeah, I can eat these foods. And then I'd get them and I'm like, wow, I'm having an anxiety attack because holy crap, I'm, I've never had permission to eat these foods before. Mm -hmm. And then having to, to sort through, well, what is the fear? What's happening in my mind? I, I always talk about, um, there's two instances that I can remember. Um, so the one was going to a bagel store and listen, we, North Jersey, we love oh, bagels. Yeah. We do bagels best. Yes, we do. <laughs> that nowhere else can you get no, a bagel. Nowhere else, nowhere else. And so I, I remember walking into the bagel store and I was filled with anxiety mm-hmm. and I had to ask myself, okay, Brie, what's going on right now? Why are you having an anxiety attack over getting a bagel? And what I realized was the story, the narrative, the self-talk I was saying to myself is, see, this is why you're fat because you like bagels. Mm -hmm. And I, in that moment had to reality test. Well, okay. Everybody that works here is in a smaller body. Everybody who's in here to buy a bagel is in a smaller body. And we know that one food and one meal does not make a body size. Mm -hmm. So how am I believing this for me? Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started to pay attention to, wow, there was so much shame around this particular food that, of course, the message began to translate of, well, if you eat bagels, you're going to be fat. And there was another time we had ordered um, Chinese food, which we also do really well up here in New York. Yes, we do. We absolutely do. We do everything the best, obviously. I know. I I remember getting, you know, um, dumplings and it was, again, another food that I would quote unquote binge on. And I had, you know, uh, I had plated myself and. I was like, okay, like still a little like disordered as opposed to like intuitively listening, but I was like, I'm going to plate myself. And I ended up eating the entire thing of dumplings and was ridden with shame. And I remember feeling the discomfort in my body, not only from being full, but from the judgment that I had for myself. And so in that moment, I remember I was like watching TV. I stopped the TV and I like, I pushed pause and I said to myself, okay, what is causing you discomfort? The fact that you're full or the fact that you feel like you binged. Mm. And so the fullness wasn't even the part that caused me distress. It was the narrative that was playing out in my head. And so the narrative playing out was, see, you have no self-control. You have no self-control around this food. And so one of these tools, and I'll, I'll, I'll give this tool out for free. This is what I do with, with myself and what I do with my clients is in that moment, I had to assess on a scale of one to 10, how distressful was it? Mm. How distressed did I feel in that moment? For me, it was probably about a six. If it was any higher, I probably would have been like, we need to go back to like coping skills and to just regulate a, a seven, eight, nine is not really something you want to unpack. But I said, six, let's go for it. And what I realized was that, okay, this was so uncomfortable because I was like, it was that, that confirmation bias of like, see, you shouldn't be eating this food because you're out of control. And so I, I stopped that thought and I said, All right, is there any other reason why this food became a quote unquote binge food? And I realized, well, one, you know, I, I didn't eat a snack earlier in the day. So I was extra hungry for dinner mm-hmm. and I normally would eat a snack, but 
in my old way, it was like, oh, let me save up all of my calories for dinner. And then the other piece that sort of became aware to me was that this food was always off limits Mm -hmm. in my mind. It was always a cheat food. So there wasn't actual unconditional permission in my mind, even though I had said it out loud. Yep. There wasn't an actual practice of, of unconditional permission. And so the first time that after that, that I ordered dumplings and I said to myself, we can eat them all if we want to. You have mm. unconditional permission. And if you don't want to, we can order them again tomorrow and mm. we can order. And I know that that comes with a lot of privilege. But the first time I threw out extra dumplings, that was the moment where I was like, oh, this is intuitive eating. Yes. This is actual food freedom of knowing. I don't need to finish this because I have endless access to it, which again comes with financial privilege Yes, to be able to do that. So I want to hold that space. But in my mind, the reason I would finish them was because I didn't know when the next time would come. Mm-hmm. And so any of those quote unquote binge foods that I was like, I can't keep in my house, I eat on a regular basis now because they no longer hold this power over me of, well, we don't know when we're going to get it next because I can get it whenever I want. And then, I mean, I know I've been monologuing for a little bit. Oh, we love it. (laughs) When I realized that part of my fear was, well, what is my body size going to do? Like what happens if I continue to eat unconditionally and my body changes? Or what happened this year during the pandemic? What happens if I lose mobility? Mm. And I had to reckon my own internalized fat phobia and ableism that is that body less worthy because Mm. it cannot move in the same way that an abled body can. Mm. I love that. I do. And I love that, you know, because becoming an intuitive eater does not happen overnight, right? So like you said, you know, you order the dumplings and even though you said to yourself, like, I can eat these. Like I'm like, you know, all the things you're supposed to say and you gave yourself permission to have them, even though normally they would have been off limits and blah, blah, blah. It takes a while for like your mind and your body to like catch up to one another, you know, and to like really, really gather. And so like the first few times that you have what used to be an off limit food, you might binge on it because like you're so not used to eating it like a normal person. Yeah. And so it's like, you have to be comfortable with like the first few times of having dumplings or a bagel or chocolate cake, like might Mm. be a little wonky for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that does, it's not evidence that you are out of control. Right. It's evidence that you don't actually have full permission. And I say the same thing around movement. Like I, I am, I'm today, I have been planning on, you know, the first to know, um, on going to a gym and rejoining a gym after over a year and a half of giving myself unconditional permission to rest. And the only motivation for me is that because I want to build my strength and I, it's too hot. I'm not doing, I'm not going to walk outside. Right. So I was like, if I can, if I can do something in the pool, like if Mm -hmm. I do some sort of water aerobics, then maybe I'll do that. But I have, I have not forced myself to quote unquote move I gave myself unconditional permission. And anytime there was judgment that came up with that rest, I would, I would try to assess it and be like, what are you like, what is the dialogue that you're saying to yourself? Would you assign this dialogue to anyone else? Can you reality test this? Would you say this to anyone else? And if the answer is no, mm-hmm. 
then you're not being kind to yourself. Then you're not yeah. actually giving yourself permission. Yeah. Ugh. All right. So you kind of, I love that tip that you gave us, that free tip about like asking yourself, like, you know, what level of distress were you at? Yeah. And so to kind of circle back to that, let's say a, like a new client comes to you mm-hmm. and they're, and they're just like, they sit down and they're like, listen, like I genuinely hate my body. I hate how it looks. I hate how it feels. I hate what I see in the mirror. I hate how I look in pictures. Like I hate myself. Mm-hmm. Where do you start with that person? Like, cause I'm sure there's people listening to this right now that are like, oh, this is all well and good, but they don't understand like how, mu- how much I hate myself or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first I would say like, I, I get you because I was you, I, I hated my body too. And if somebody, if somebody comes to me and they are like, I hate my body and I am not eating, right? Like, or I'm disordered eating, I probably would refer you to a higher level of care. I would probably mm-hmm. refer you to work with a clinician and a dietitian, because I think from, from a coaching perspective, um, this is the person who is no longer disordered eating. This person is sort of on that recovery journey and is just finding themselves stuck in the body image and the body acceptance journey. And so if you have this high level of hatred for your body, I'd argue you probably are struggling with body dysmorphia and body dysmorphia is the belief that you think something is wrong with your body, that what you see is different from what everyone else is seeing. And so I would, I would argue there's probably a higher level of care that's going to be needed. But if you are a person who's like, all right, I'm out of recovery, I'm out of that higher level of, you know, and I still hate my body. There's going to have to be a lot of work that is done around your belief systems and around bodies in general, because is it just your body? that's bad? Or do you believe all fat bodies are bad? Do you hold this bias and judgment for other people? Where did that come from? Where, where did that belief system start? What was the first age that you remember feeling different or uncomfortable in your body? And we have to understand what story is playing out and how it began. Hmm. Yeah. So that's what you do with people. You walk alongside them, you help them with that. I love that. Um, what about for someone who's listening to this and they're saying, um, okay, cause I know that you start your podcast, you start every episode of your podcast, body image with Brie, and you ask your guests, um, tell me about like a recent, like bad body image day. Is that how you, that's yeah, or bad right? body image or just a body image discomfort moment. Yes. Yeah. What about somebody who's listening to this and they're like, what do you mean? Like every moment, like I have body image discomfort. Like I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know what the flip side of that is. Wow. Wow. So if somebody were to say to me, like every moment is a bad body image moment, I would try to highlight any experience that might feel good because the reason we can feel discomfort is because we can also feel pain-free and we can feel joy. We know what it feels like to feel the opposite. Mm. And so Maybe you're feeling the discomfort at predominant amount of times, but there is still a place of recognition of, oh, that feels good. Mm-hmm. Can we start small? Can you start with, I, I love sitting in my window here in my cave, my basement, because I love when the sun streams in on my face and it feels warm on my skin. That is a small, a small good body feeling moment, but I can highlight those moments of goodness. I love that. Um, 
okay, I don't want to like overwhelm you, but if you could give us some clarity on, there's a lot of different terms and phrases and things like that that get thrown around, like, uh, as people start to dip their toe into maybe like listening to these types of podcasts or whatever, and they might be confusing for people. Like there's body image, body satisfaction, body tolerance, like things like that. Could you Mm -hmm. kind of like explain some of those to us? Sure. Let's take them one at a time and you- Perfect. All right. So body image, what exactly does that mean? (laughs) So uh, the definition that I use for body image is from confidentbody.net. And I describe body image as not only the way that you see yourself, but the way that you feel about your body and the thoughts and beliefs that you hold about your body and the behaviors that in turn motivate your uh how your body looks. So what does that look like broken down? So if I look at a picture of myself and I don't like my body and the reason I don't like it is because I, it makes me like, I feel in my body, I feel distressed. And the reason I feel distressed is because, uh, I'm afraid that um, people are going to think that I have failed because I'm in a larger body. So then that motivates me to go on a diet. That is how I would describe body, which I just recently shared. Uh, I did a collaboration with Athleta New York Metro and I didn't like many of the photos that they took of me, but it there wasn't a narrative attached to it. I just didn't like the photos. It was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like the angles. I didn't like how my body looked, but I didn't also think I was a bad person. I didn't also mm. think that it meant I was a failure because I'd done so much work about separating that out that I can objectively look at my body and be like, yeah, I don't really like how it looks in this photo, but it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean that I'm going to experience less love. That is so huge. That is so huge to separate the two. Like that, totally. I mean, because how many of us like see a picture of ourselves, we don't like it. And it's not just like, oh, I don't like that picture. Bummer. It's like, I'm disgusting. I hate myself. Like totally. I, other people probably feel that way about me. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, separate those things. The only person who's surprised how you look in a photo is you. Totally. <laughs> Cause people are seeing us every day. Yes. They see us from a different perspective. And that's the other thing too, with photos, D- there are angles like they're like, it's a millisecond in time. That mm-hmm. might not be how people are seeing you, but the only person who's surprised by what you see is you, everybody else sees you. And so when I could reckon that of like, Oh, like, Uh, everybody else knows what I look like. This is just the first time I'm seeing this angle. It's new. I don't necessarily love it. And I would say too, when I stopped expecting to see a smaller version of myself, like I always thought of myself as smaller in my head, it stopped accosting me when I was like, oh, who's the fat person in the photo? That's me. I love that though. That Yes. Like that's so amazing how you said that. It's like it accosts us because we're always expecting something different. Right. It's like we're thinking we're going to see a supermodel in the photo. Right. Well, you stop expecting to see the supermodel and you're like, yep, this is it. And and so how do we work on that? Um, exposure. Take photos. Get used mm. to taking photos. Uh, showing up on Instagram for me has been one of the things I'm like, I no longer am shocked by what I look like for the most part. You know, like I'm like, yep, this I mean, right now, hair's in a bun. This is usually how I show up. So yeah, I, I think there are times when because we 
put effort in and we're like, oh, like I looked, I tried really hard to look beautiful or sexy in these photos. And then I'm accosted by what I see. Yeah. Again, there's a narrative playing out. Let's figure out what it's trying to say. I like that. That's a really good tip, like exposure. Like, cause there's so, how many people are probably listening to this that are like, oh, I just don't do pictures. Uh-huh. Like I just, I don't let people take pictures of me. I don't post pictures of me. Totally. Like I don't exist in the yep. world of photos. And it's totally. like, that's really not actually helping you. No. And so what I would do is a scale of one to 10. If taking a photo was like a 10, then don't take a photo. What about looking in a mirror? Can you mm-hmm. look in a mirror? Can you look at an older photo, right? Try to find something that's more tangible. Oh, I love that. So what about, um, so there's like body tolerance and body acceptance. Like what's the difference? What comes first? So I think that body tolerance is just a watered down version of body acceptance. Okay. And for me, body acceptance is accepting or like taking with what it is. Like this is my body. It's not a, oh, I love the way that my body looks. I feel confident in the way that my body looks. It is just a mere acceptance of like, yeah, this is it. It is what it is. Tolerance, I I just feel like the way it's described is often like, okay, well, can you just tolerate your body? Can you tell me any relationship in your life that you tolerate? I don't, I can't think of one. Yeah. Not ideal. Yeah. (laughs) So, right. I think of, I I just think tolerance is an avoidance of grief. That's Mm -hmm. my personal opinion. No disrespect to anybody who teaches body tolerance. I like that. No, that's good. Um, then what about like body satisfaction and body respect? Is that kind of the same thing? Like So um, body satisfaction is actually uh, the idea that we like the way that our body looks. And and, and in an untainted version from diet culture, I think body satisfaction is like believing that your body is more than what it looks like, right? That it is Mm -hmm. beyond like that your worth and value does not belong only to what it looks like. I would say body satisfaction often gets misconstrued as body image that mm-hmm. right. When you think about what diets promise you, what they're trying to promise you is body satisfaction, not better body image mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. body image, as we've discussed has little or nothing to do with how you look, right. but it is how you perceive yourself, how you think or feel about the way that you perceive yourself, how those thoughts and feelings, how those feelings impact your thoughts and beliefs, and then the actions that you do associated with that. So body satisfaction and body image, I think are two vastly different things. And then in terms of body respect, again, thinking about body tolerance and body respect in a relationship, tolerance doesn't sound very kind, right? It Mm -hmm. sounds like I deal with you because I have to, Mm -hmm. as respect is like, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to show you respect because you, you deserve it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you respect. Even, you know, I mean, you mentioned you have kids. I'm sure sometimes your kids are, um, gremlins, right? And they're, (laughs) and we teach them, okay, well, we still have to respect, right? Respect is really important. And what does Mm -hmm. that look like? It doesn't mean I have to love the behavior or love what you're doing, Mm -hmm. but I've heard this quote and it, it has never left me saying I will only love my body when it does what I want to is saying I will only love my kids when they behave. Mm, yeah. That's not love. That's right. not love. That's, 
that's conformity. That's control. Yeah. Right. Our bodies are going to do what they're going to do. Our kids are going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. But what, what our response is, is what we're responsible for. Mm. Thank you. That was awesome. Talk to me about quickly intentional weight loss. Like someone who is trying to lose weight. Is that always a negative thing? Or you think that's just a negative thing for like some people who Mm. struggle or whatever? Yeah. So here's what I'll say about intentional weight loss. I think that the research is uh, clear that sustainable weight loss is not, is not intentional, right? Like Mm -hmm. it is not something that there is scientific evidence to prove that a majority of people will experience weight loss consistently over time. That usually there's about an end date when they end up regaining the weight or alternatively develop an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I think that research hasn't been done. And it is one of the most frustrating things I think in our society that we would rather people be disordered then be fat. Yeah. But yeah. that's besides the point. So if somebody's saying to me like, well, I, I want to lose weight. You have a hundred percent body autonomy. Mm-hmm. You have the right to do with your body, what you choose. I, as a provider will never co-sign someone intentionally losing weight because mm-hmm. I know the harm and the risk that comes with either weight cycling or eating disorders. It's just the way that I I run my practice. However, if you want to change your health habits, I'm happy to discuss that. I'm happy to support you in that. What I won't let you do is hide your body hatred Mm -hmm. under the guise of the umbrella of health. That I won't do because I think that's a really easy way to be like, but what about health? You know what health is more than? It is more than the number on the scale. The Mm -hmm. BMI is a really, really unreliable Mm -hmm. uh, measure of health. And uh, uh, Lindo Bacon and Lucy Affermore in their book, Body Respect, talk about how health is only 30% what we eat and how we move. Mm. Only 30%. There is 70% of other things that impact our health. And for me, my my definition of health used to be like how much I'm eating and how much I'm exercising. And now it's, well, where's how how is my emotions? Mm -hmm. Right. How am I regulating my anxiety? What is my self-care look like? Mm -hmm. How is my mental health? Uh, how is my sleep? Yeah. How much water am I drinking? Like so many more important things than what's the number on the scale? How many vegetables am I eating? Yes. I love what you said about BMI also because um, there's so much weight stigma about how you like, oh, a small body, You people assume a small body equals a healthy body and right. a larger body equals an unhealthy body. Right. But that right. is not true. Well, and and if you're somebody who's like, yeah, yes, Brie, like I hear you, but I know that I'm meant to be in a smaller body. Mm-hmm. I would encourage you to go watch the clip Poodle Science. Have you ever have you ever seen Poodle no, Science? No. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. And it talks about how that believing that we are all meant to be one size would be like believing all dogs are meant to be poodles. Mm that some are chihuahuas and some are mastiffs and some are pit bulls, that dogs come in all sizes yes. for different 
purpose is. And it's the same with human beings. We are all meant to exist at a different size. Mm. And I can just imagine a person being like, okay, that's fine. But what about people who are really overweight and really unhealthy? Mm. I would argue that their health is not a barrier of treating them with human decency and respect. Mm. And that their health is their own Mm -hmm. and it is between them and their doctor and not Mm -hmm. you and them. Yeah. Because one of the biggest fears people have of like, but if I let myself intuitively eat, if I let myself quote unquote go, Mm -hmm. they're going to make a TV show about me and I'm going to end up in a large body. And what I'm going to tell you is that that's actually your internalized fat phobia. Mm -hmm. Because people who have had a TV show made about them are actually really super disordered and they need eating disorder care and not a television show that's going to shame them into losing weight. Yes. All right. So let's say someone's listening to this and like their mind is blown. Like they've, they've actually never heard any of this kind of stuff before, you know, like they never really understood, like thought about like body grief or body image or like, they just always thought like, well, you just got to lose weight and then you'll be happy. Right. Like if this is blowing their mind, like what resources can you tell us that can help people like start on this path? Oh, amazing. Well, depending on when this airs, um, I think you had said sometime in, in August, hopefully, um, I am going to be launching a body grievers course. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So there will be a sign up. Will it be a live course? Okay. Um, so you have to sign up and you don't have to attend the classes live um, if you want to catch the recording or the replay, but that will be the signups will be starting in uh in August. So Amazing. if somebody's like, I want to learn all about body grief, you can come join me. If you cannot afford the course, I also have a mini, uh, mini body grievers bundle, uh, which includes like a mini course on body grief. And if that's not accessible to you, then I also recommend my podcast where I interview guests. I reference resources and books, and there are so many Uh, different outlets and resources to study this topic of body image. And it's just so important to me that we bring the conversation back to body image. So if uh, that's a good place to start for most people. Where can people sign up for the Body Grievers course? Hopefully a link in my bio. Perfect. (laughs) All right. So we will link all that stuff in the show notes, everybody. And that is where you can go to get connected with Brie. We love you. Um, Let me just have one final question. What is giving you life right now? Anything that you want? Like what is just bringing you joy right now? This podcast episode. Oh, yay. (laughs) I love that. I love talking about body image. Thank you so much for having me. Seriously, I cannot thank you enough. I can't say it. Like this whole morning, my husband was like, are you okay? I was like, I'm so nervous. I was like, I'm I'm interviewing a celebrity. I'm so nervous. He was like, you got to get it together. (laughs) He was like, don't be weird. Like, That's so funny. So genuinely, this is like so amazing. I think this is going to help so many people. We are so appreciative. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And we should have a Jersey uh, meetup. Um, absolutely. (laughs) I love it. Jersey, the best. Let's do it. Thanks Uh, so much. You're so welcome. Be well. Talk to you soon. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us today. 
Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions.